All right, guys, welcome to New Life. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're beginning to wonder, a conspiracy, like maybe I disappeared or something like that. The lights weren't coming on. Uh, it's okay. Hey, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Thank you guys for being here. We'd love to see you guys back at New Life. Isn't it, isn't it good to be able to, like, even in the midst of everything that's going on in this world, isn't it good to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to church, I'm going to worship God. Come on, that's good. That's good, yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm applauding you for doing that, by the way. All right? I'm applauding you. Way to go. Way to go. Way to put God first. And um, we have to keep doing that, guys, no matter what we face in this world. Right? And you, you're only tasting of some of the things that I think that, you know, we will face in our future. Uh, maybe in our lifetimes. But this is just a taste of it. And we, we've got to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that Christ is first. Christ is first. Uh, we need to be smart. Don't get me wrong. I'm not asking people to be stupid and do dumb things. I'm just saying Jesus is first in all things. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, you're probably wondering to yourself, what church am I at if this is your first time here? If you are a guest with us, first time watching with us online or in Ogallala right now, and you're wondering, what in the world is this conspiracy theory all about? Well, luckily I'm here to help you with that, okay? Um, we designed this series last year, back in October. I, I was, it was my idea. We, we have ideas from different staff members. This was one of my ideas. Um, I, have you guys, like, anybody listen like, on talk radio? It starts around midnight. It's a show called Coast to Coast. Anybody ever watch, listen to that? I'm the only one? Okay, I'm not going to talk about it then. It's weird, by the way. It's weird. Sometimes it's on while I'm falling asleep or whatever. My wife's like, turn that off. It's ridiculous. Okay, wait, I'll turn it off. There's conspiracy theories are all over the place. And we are not going to be talking about the conspiracy theories that you think we're going to talk about. We're not talking about government cover-ups. So everyone's like, aw. We're not talking about Bigfoot, where he is or where he came from. And some of you guys are like, bummer. That's what I wanted to talk about. We're not talking about where the COVID-19 virus came from. We're not talking about where aliens are at or have come from. We're not talking about moon landings, and we're not talking about, like, flat earth. Dude, come on. <laughs> what in the world? Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. Greetings. What do you Great. mean aliens aren't real? <laughs> well, I'm right I, here. I'm just telling the people, man, that we're not going to be talking about things like this, oh. like this right here. Yeah, so, I mean, what, what are you doing here anyways? What is up with this? Well, I have been at Area 51, and there was a COVID-19 outbreak. My really? cousin Steve got it, so they let us all go. <laughs> really? So now I'm going on vacation to Disney World. <laughs> You're going on vacation to Disney World? Yes, I want because to see this was... Mickey Mouse. <laughs> you want to see the Mickey Mouse? Yes. Do you believe that he's real? Absolutely. Okay, all right. That's, that's, that's important. That's important. So you're from Area 51. Let me get the story straight. Area 51, the COVID outbreak. Your yes. cousin Steve got it. Yes. And so the government just let you guys go, and they you're going on go. vacation to Disney World. Yes. This is incredible. This is incredible. Uh, okay, no, but for real, here's what we really want to know, though. Like, where are you really from? Where are you really from? I am from a distant, distant place. Okay. My tag says Wuhan, China. <laughs> Your tag yes. says China, like Wuhan, China. Yes. Really? Oh, man. Wow. That's crazy, dude. You're from Wuhan, China. You're at Area 51, though? Yes. And they let you go? 
Yeah. All right. So Area 51 is legit then, evidently, because you came from there. So what really, like, what do you do at Area 51? I just want to know. I got to know. I'm an analyst. <laughs> an analyst. I have a big brain. A big brain. I also read people's minds. You, re you read people's minds? Well, at least people think I can. Really? I can read your mind. You can read my mind. Yes. What am I thinking? You want lunch? I do. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. San Pedro. San Pedro. That's what he wants. Are you buying? Well, I'm going on vacation. Where okay, then get out of here. Then get out of here. Get out of here. Come on. Oh, my word. All right, guys, look, if this is like... You're, you're kind of new to new life. Let me just say this. This is a church that's all ran by former youth pastors. So that's, that's why crazy stuff like that happens, okay? Um, but that's not where we're going. We're not, we're not going to even talk about those kinds of things, all right? Uh, so, ah, bummer, bummer. Uh, but here's what I do know. A recent survey was done uh, of Americans during the COVID-19, like, outbreak that you know, when it really happened uh, at the beginning of the stages of this thing. It, this, this was a, the, the new discovery that 50% of Americans believe in one of these types of conspiracies that I just mentioned. 50%. That means 50% of the people that are in this room believe. Like, they go, yes, I actually believe it. It's true. As an example, here's some of the conspiracies from part of the survey, not all of the survey. But like Lee Har Harvey Oswald, he didn't act alone in assassinating JFK. That, that is, that's something that almost 50% of everybody that took it believed that. But you also have, you know, like, you know, is there a deep state kind of working against the president? There's that one. Um, is there a government, you know, hiding aliens in Area 51? What about 9-11 being an inside job? Or even the Illuminati secretly controlling the world, right? Or even the moon landing that being faked. I mean, come on, people. I want to hang on to the moon landing, you know? Come on. Who's, come on. Moon landing people, let's do it. No, I'm talking like, like for real, like you actually believe it. Okay. All right. Not the fake. Okay. All right. More people actually believe that here. Okay. So we've got this issue where like there is a, there's a mind that wants to think that there is some kind of conspiracy theory that's going on. Because a conspiracy theory is this. Like I see these things happening these acts are taking place, these circumstances are, are taking place, and there must be a secret plot behind that, that some kind of powerful conspirator that nobody knows about is driving the cause. And so I see these things because of a secret plot and powerful conspirators. That's, in essence, what makes up a conspiracy theory. And we, as humans, can be extremely vulnerable to thinking that, yes, what we're seeing has some nefarious Thing happening in the background and something's taking place. Now, I'm not, again, speaking about any of the conspiracy theories that we threw up on the board. What I'm interested in is how the enemy is deceiving us and creating conspiracy theories about God and his word that are keeping us from the relationship and closeness with God that God wants. That's where we're going to go in this entire series. Last week, Pastor Nate kicked it off. I think he I think you guys probably love what Nate brought to you. Uh, we, love, we love you, Nate. We love your communicating skills. We love, we love your passion. And Nate brought the concept that there's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's an example of what we're, where we're going, right? 
But you guys do realize that the very first conspiracy theory that man ever entertained, he bid on. Did you realize that? The very first one. So remember what a conspiracy theory is. Set of circumstances and ideas and things that are happening, secret plot, big conspirator. Very first one happens in the very couple of chapters of the Bible in the garden. Satan comes to Eve and says these words. Hey, by the way, there's this conspirator called God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have a secret plot that they're trying to keep something from you. They don't want you to know that that they don't want you to think like God and know the difference between good and evil. And there's this conspiracy going on. It's against you, Eve. And the conspirator is God with the secret plot that he's holding something from you. And Eve's like, what? That can't be true. Maybe it is. She started thinking about it. And then pretty soon, bam, she bites on it. And the reason for that is because Satan is a liar. That's his mission. His whole character, his whole mission is a mission of lies. He's doing it in the garden, and unfortunately, he's still doing it today, thousands of years later. And that's what we're here to address. We're here to pull back the veil, expose the conspiracies, the lies that he's trying to deposit into the hearts of believers that are going to keep you from being all that God wants you to be. We're going to pull those back, we're going to find the truth, and we're going to hunt after God for the actual truth. Because if we don't, then we know this, our enemy's out there, and he's a, he's a master at lying. This is what the Bible says about him in John 8, 44 says that this about Satan, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. That's who he is. We shouldn't expect him to be any different. And what he wants for you and me is to have this conspiratorial mind, right, about God and about his word. Like, I know, man, this book, it was written, you know, over, th- over you know, thousands of years. It's got many different writers. I mean, there's got to be something else that's going on here. Some people believe that the Bible itself is a conspiracy trying to cover up some kind of other truth. Other people believe that the Bible has some conspiratorial kind of code inside of it, that God's keeping something from us. There's all these crazy ideas, but the enemy would love for you to have a conspiratorial mind against God and against his word because then he's able to lead you to spiritual dead ends. He's lead, he, he can get you to a place where you can exchange a biblical truth for a fallacy and a lie where you bite off on it and you're living your whole life built on lies. And in the end, he wants to lead you to spiritual death because we have an enemy who is a liar and his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy everything that he can in and of your life. And there are many, many lies that he uses against the church and against believers to keep them from experiencing all that God has for their lives. And it can be very detrimental to your spirit. So today I want to talk to you about one of those. The conspiracy of grace. The conspiracy of grace. The essence of grace, or the truth of grace, is that it is a free gift and it's unmerited from God, meaning it's undeserved favor from God and it's free. We have a really hard time with that, but that is what grace is. It's not something that you, you, you earn, it's something that is a free gift and it's undeserved, but yet God gives it to us anyways. And why does God give grace? So that, biblical terms, we can be saved or set free from our sin, okay, and we can be in relationship with God. Not just here, but for eternity. And without grace, 
There is no forgiveness of sins without grace. There is no salvation without grace. There is no eternity spent with God. Therefore, God gives grace because there is no other way for you and me to have sins forgiven, for us to be saved, and for us to spend eternity with God. There's nothing that we can do unless grace, which is free and undeserved, by the way, is given to us by God because of his favor. Guys, that's what grace is. The problem is that the enemies come along and every truth that God has, the enemy wants to twist and create these lies and conspiracies about them. And he's created these two incredible ditches. The first one is that, you know, grace, yeah, there's grace, but it's not enough. And there's going to need to be some extra work that you have to do to really earn God's favor and earn salvation and earn eternity with God in heaven. That's one ditch. The other ditch is, yeah, there's grace. There's grace, and there's plenty of grace, right? And that there's more grace where that came from. So you can therefore live however you want. As long as you're a good person, you can live however you want. Don't worry about it. Do the things you want to do. God's got abundance of grace. It's okay. Everybody goes to heaven and your dog. And that's the other ditch. And these two ditches are alive. They're like on a dirt road, these two ditches. You drive off either one of them and it's detrimental. It could bring spiritual death to you. And there's probably many, many people that are listening to my voice right now that have gotten caught in one of those ditches or you might be living there and you're, you don't even know it. You got caught up in the conspiracy of grace and now you're living this fallacy of what it really looks like to know God and to please God. So today, I want to talk about the very first one of these two ditches. That, you know, grace isn't enough. Therefore, some kind of work is required. The lie here is this, in simple form, right? That uh, we're saved by what we do. We're saved by our works, not by this free, unmerited, undeserved gift from God. Meaning that we're saved by what we do, not by what, what Jesus has already done. So somehow we get this, this idea that we earn God's favor by maybe, you know, more prayer. We just need more prayer. So, you know, we find, we find somehow to like insert more prayer, thinking that God's looking at me and he's going, man, I'm so pleased with you that, you know, you're just, you just keep inserting more and more and more prayer. But the heart behind it is not pure. The heart behind it is I'm trying to earn God's favor. Or, you know, I haven't missed a Sunday at church in years. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about you. Um, I'm just saying that I haven't done that. But my attitude isn't, you know, that I, I, I just want to be here. My attitude is I'm somehow trying to earn extra favor with God. Or that maybe I, I'll give more. And if I give more, I'll earn more favor with God. Or if I volunteer more. And some people are volunteering not out of the heart to just serve. They're volunteering because they have some desire to, like, earn God's favor. And over time, all of your Christian uh, principles, all of your Christ-centered uh, d- disciplines that are required you know, in our, in our life of prayer and giving and serving, all those things now become obligations to somehow try to get God's approval. And that's where it all starts falling apart. But this isn't new for us today. This has been going on for a long time. Martin Luther dealt with this back in 1517 when he hung his 95 thesis document to the church doors at Wittenberg um, on October 31st. When he did that, 
1517, he was making the declaration that I'm sick and I'm tired of the church lording over the people and confusing the people on who God is. The church has to get back to God's word. And his two main themes in his entire document that he, that he displayed on those church doors that day, creating a revolution in Christianity, by the way, that you and me are still riding the wave of, was these two things that dealt with works driven. One was this, that the church was selling these things called indulgences, and that the people would pay, people would sacrifice a lot, they were poor already, they would sacrifice a lot to pay for an indulgence that might save them time in purgatory, or an indulgence that would forgive them of a past sin, or pay for an indulgence of a future sin that they might commit. Ludicrous, crazy, crazy talk. And he was ticked off at this. And he was like, why are we, we're robbing the people. We're not even leading them to the truth of who God is. So the people are thinking by works, if I just pay for these indulgences, then I can earn my way past my sin into eternity with God, therefore achieving salvation. The other one was this. They were driving home that the only way to be saved was by works. Yeah, faith in God, but it's primarily by works. And Martin Luther was just like, can we just get back to the Bible can we get back to the truth that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ through grace, not by works? And the reason why he was so ticked off about it in 1517, and the reason why I'm still ticked off about it today, is because there's a destructive nature to this works mentality that the enemy tries to deceive us of, this conspiracy of trying to please God. It's very, very destructive. You might find it... <clears throat> You might find an example of it being played out in my personal life. I might be like some of you, by the way. I'm, I'm the most difficult person on myself. There isn't anybody else on this earth that's more difficult uh, or more like, challenging towards me than me myself. There isn't anybody else that holds me to a higher expectation than me myself. And I, I do this in a way that is, is unhealthy, the extreme of this action brings me to hold these standards against myself that are unattainable and unrealistic. And that's what people that are closest to me and love me, they'll tell me those kinds of things when they're willing to be honest with me. And when I'm willing to be honest with myself, I can come to the conclusion of, yes, that's true, but I find it really hard to break out of that. And so therefore, everything in my life that I do, I strive to become greater and greater, better and better at things, right? challenging myself i have plenty of grace for you but i have no grace for me and as i get close to maybe reaching a bar which is awesome then i somehow take the bar and move it higher it's ludicrous it's crazy and that when i win when i i mean internally like when i do things when i feel like i'm achieving that bar it, it's less about the wow awesome no matter what it is it, it has everything to do with well i could have done these things better is there anybody else on the same page with me, or am I the only person alone in this challenge by myself? Yeah, I know I'm not the only person. And it's robbed me of a lot of joy in this world, but it's also what has caused me to be able to accomplish some things in this world. And I, I kind of look at it in a wrong perspective. I look at what it's allowed me to accomplish versus what, it, what it's cost me. It, it's ludicrous. It's crazy. It's robbed joy. I don't, sometimes I don't even know where I'm at, right? And so look, if you're sitting here and you're going, well, I want to be at a church where a pastor's perfect. This is not the one, <laughs> right? 
And man, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, this is a little too raw. I don't like that. Well, this is not the one either then. We're raw, we're transparent, we're real. And we're not going to fix my issues today. I'm trying to use this as an example because it's a perfect example of a works mentality. A works mentality before God because here's what happens. You get more focused on the external. It's like I'm focused on the external of what goes on, like in my golf game, right? Or, you know, in whatever else I'm, I'm looking at in my life this way. And I get more focused on the external than I get focused on the internal. And that's what happens in our spiritual walk. We get more focused on what we're doing for God than just surrendering and how my thought process is becoming more like him. How my joy is becoming more like him. How my, my peace is becoming more like him. And it's, it just becomes more about what I'm doing on the outside. And hopefully people see what I'm doing on the outside. That's a works mentality. Right? And as hard as you try, you, you can never be perfect at it. So the bar keeps getting ratcheted up higher and higher. And the more you try to achieve it, the bar goes up. And to the point where you're just kind of like, I don't even know if I've done enough to please God. Guys, how destructive of a life is that? How demoralizing of a Christianity is that, that you would live your life before God, not even knowing whether you've pleased him or not? Thank God for grace. I'll tell you that right now. Like trying to please God out of works is like, it's like your car, leaving the headlights on on your car overnight. If you do that, when you come back out to your car, what happens? Click, 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 click. It's dead, right? And the same thing happens in your spiritual journey. You eventually run out of power trying to sustain the works that you think are pleasing God. And then you start to do the works because you don't just give up. You start to do the works out of resentment. Well, I got to go to church today. Well, got to read my Bible today. Well, got to write, got a tithe check today. Until, and it, that's not the worst, until you finally collapse in defeat, anger, and disillusionment. And you're done. Some of you might be here like that today, right now. And I just want to tell you, you leaned your ladder up against the wrong wall of grace. And you climb to the top, and it doesn't go anywhere. And now you're angry and you're disillusioned. Don't walk away. Humble yourself. Come back down the ladder. Get the ladder leaning against the right wall of grace and climb back up it. That's what you got to do today if you want to stay in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's what all we do. Here, here's, all of us need to do this in light of what we've been talking about. It's simple but hard. We have to embrace the truth that grace is enough. Grace is enough. Yeah, but what about, no, no, grace is enough. Would you just say that with me? Grace is enough. Why? Because it's a free gift from God that's undeserved so that we can truly experience the favor of God. Grace is enough. Listen to what Ephesians says about it. It says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's when you believed. That was it. Not when you gave more, you prayed more, you attended church more, none of that kind of stuff. It's when you believed in him, right? So whoever would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's going to come in, enter their life. He's going to set them free. We receive grace when we believe and you can't take credit for this. There's nothing that you did other than just going, okay, God, I surrender and I believe. Right? It's a gift from God. Say gift from God. That's what it is. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. 
So none of us can boast about it. So look, here's what we need to do. If you want to embrace grace, then first thing you got to do is you got to realize it's a gift from God. Some of us are not good at receiving gifts. Have you ever received a gift from someone only, to deci- only inside of your heart to think like, oh, man, now i got to really give them a good gift at their birthday. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had that guilt? Ever had that kind of thing coursed through you before? Of course you have. You know, you may have let it go quickly. Good for you. Some of you, you didn't. You held on to it. You ever, got, you ever had one of those things where you gave somebody a gift, they send you a thank you card, and now you feel like you got to send them back a thank you card for their thank you card? <laughs> you ever had that moment happen? And this is endless driving to see who can finish the sentence with the final thank you card? It's a gift from God. Guys, we have to be better at just going, God, it's a gift. I embrace your grace. There's nothing else I can do to earn it. But that's not where it ends. It also goes to you got to humble our pride. We don't get a chance to boast about it. Listen, God's not impressed with everything that you can do for him. Just like God's not impressed with Jeff Baker every time he tries to raise the bar and go, God, look what else I can do for you. He's not impressed by that. In fact, he probably does one of these things like, angels, hey, come over here. Take a look at this guy. I want you to get a good look at this guy. Because in a few weeks, I'm going to send you on a mission to rescue him, right? Because he's got himself in a lot of trouble, right? The guy's not standing over there like, hey, hey, make a plaque for this guy and hang it on the wall of heaven. He's one of the heroes. No, God's going, look, I'm not impressed by that. Just like God's not impressed with all the things that you can do for him. And by the way, the people closest to you are tired of hearing about all the things that you've done for God, by the way. We got to humble our pride. Humble our pride. It's a free gift. I embrace that. Humble my pride and start confessing, God, you are great. I'm little. You are everything and I'm nothing. Why? Because look, works isn't the way we're saved. It's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. However, watch this. In light of all the things we just talked about, faith produces something. Faith produces good things. Faith isn't something that gets the chance to sit idle on on the couch of your spirituality and eat potato chips all week long. Faith produces something. Faith shows the world that we are followers of Christ. Faith displays peace. Faith displays joy. Even in the midst of struggle and trial and confusion, faith displays obedience to God. It's out of faith in God that I give to God my tithe. It's out of faith in God that I come and I worship him today. It's out of faith that I show empathy and compassion. It's out of faith today that I'm generous beyond my tithe. It's out of faith. Faith produces good things. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We just read verses 8 and 9. Now look at verse 10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Would you just turn to somebody that you really, really love and just tell them, yep, that's you. He's talking about you. This is your opportunity, husbands. This is your opportunity. My wife is in Omaha watching grandchildren. I'm going to tell her, honey, you're God's masterpiece. I receive it back. Thank you. We're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do what? Come on, so we can do what? The good things that he had planned for you. That doesn't sound like inactive faith to me. That sounds like faith in action. Faith that does something. Faith that produces what things? Good things. So think of it this way. Faith is the engine that displays God's love to the world. 
That's what faith is. Here's how detrimental works is. Works, right, is the engine that tries to gain God's love. So faith is the engine that displays God's love to the world. Works is the engine that tries to gain God's love. How detrimental is a works mentality of grace then? It's all about you. It's God, look at me, look at me, look at me. How, invalu- how valuable is faith? Faith is God, show off yourself through me. And the world needs to see Christians that truly know what grace is, that they embrace it so they can show God's love to the world instead of constantly going, God, I want more of your love. I need more of your love. I need more of your love. I'm selfish in that way, God. So I'm going to do all these things so that you see me greater than you see anyone else. That's ludicrous. That's why the conspiracy of grace, that grace is not enough, is so detrimental to the entire mission of Jesus Christ. That's one ditch. Now the next ditch, very quickly. Grace covers everything. And therefore, if you're just a good person, it's all going to work out in the end. And the lie is that once saved by grace, that there isn't anything that's gonna, that, can, that can lose that grace. And I can live basically however I want to as long as I'm a good person. And everything's going to work out. And I stand before God in heaven. Paul speaks very clearly about this in Romans. Here's what he says. He says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? question mark of course not since we have died to sin how can we continue to live in it since we've died to it this is what God wants us to see God wants us to see this part since we've died to it many times what the enemy wants us to see is this hey keep on sinning because God's got more and more wonderful grace it's almost like we read God's word and we we pull out the words we want it to say instead of letting God's words say what it's supposed to say So God's attitude towards sin is this. Let sin die. Grace covered it. You let it die. Now, you got more sin to deal with in your life. True. But let that die, right? And then learn how to come alive with Christ. Learn how to let Jesus and the power of Christ work out in your life. Learn how to use grace to go show grace to others. Instead, we carry our sin around with us. And some of us who believe this lie, this conspiracy, that grace, oh, there's plenty of it, and everybody's going to go to heaven, and all the dogs will be there, and blah, 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 blah. They do this, they go, well, God, I love you. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do, though, and you're going to be okay with it, God, because I'm a good person. I'm not hurting anybody, right? I'm just doing my thing, and I'm just going to carry my sin along with me. You're like a teenage boy who says this to their mom. Mom, it's okay. I know my room stinks, but all the stinky socks are fine. All the old gym clothes are fine. I know it smells. Just don't open the door. But then you say to your mom, you say this. Yeah, but mom, let me know when you're coming in. I'll I'll spray a little Febreze around the room. Well, the stinky socks are still there. It's ludicrous to think that the room is ever going to smell, you know, spring fresh-like with all of that going on. And no mom's going to approve of that. Just like God's not going to approve of us abusing his grace and continuing to do whatever it is that we want to do. So I'm telling you right now, God doesn't overlook sin. God doesn't take kindly to those who abuse sin either. Guys, grace, grace might be free, but it's not cheap. It's free, but it didn't come cheap. Grace was purchased on the cross. It was a hefty price purchased on the cross. 
Grace is given out of God's incredible love for us that we might have a relationship with him. That's good. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing grace on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that grace was given so that I might have a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that there's nothing I can do to earn grace. And by the way, guys, you can't save up grace on your good days. Yeah, well, God, hey, God, now look, I got to admit, today, come on, say it, I did good today, God. I had temptation, I didn't fall to it. Come on, come on, God, you know, you see, this is maybe my best day of the entire month. You're boasting about yourself before God, and then you're going to make this statement. So, God, I did so good today. Can I save up that grace for the bad days? You don't get to earn it. That means you don't get to show off on your good days, saving it up on your bad days. But that's good news. Why? Because grace, grace is what allows us to get close to God. Grace is what allows us to come to this auditorium, to worship with us online, to be with us at one of our campuses, and to know this, that I am going to meet with God. If you're trapped in one of the conspiracies of grace, there's no hope of meeting with God. But today, because of God's good news, the grace of Jesus Christ, we get a chance to meet with him in his presence. Look what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Hebrews chapter 4. The next one. Yeah, there we go. Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What kind of God do we serve? Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Guys, you know what this scripture is really saying? It's saying this about good news. That grace is enough. And that all we are to do is believe, come in to his throne, come to the throne of our gracious God and just say grace is enough. So guys, today, let's boldly come and worship him. Today, let's with confidence come into his presence. Let's crush the conspiracies of grace today, and let's get hungry to really know who Jesus is. He's already paid the price for it all. All he wants from us is to come hungry, and to come into his throne room, come to, his, come to the gracious God, and just seek him, and guess what God does? He pours out grace in an abundance form more than what you ever will need. He will do that. Our job, come hungry and seek him. So that's what we're going to do over these next few minutes. We're coming hungry and we're seeking to know God. So let your grace, God, be poured out upon our lives and upon this church. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. That in and of itself is a statement of grace. Just to be able to say we come in the name of Jesus. And heaven's doors fling wide as believers walk into the throne of a gracious God. We kneel down before you, God, and we seek you just to know you. Not to impress you, not to earn extra favor from you, but just to know you. It's the access of Christ that has given us uh, the doorway into the throne room of a gracious God. We come hungry for you. We come expecting great things from you. We come, Lord, just eager to know you, to know your heart today. So pour out your grace upon this church. Pour out your grace upon these people. Pour out your grace upon our lives, God. It's your free gift. It's not our free gift. It's yours. And you want to give your free gift in an abundance. 
that you're looking for the hungry to come so that you can pour out mercy and you can pour out grace so that we have it as we need it. Lord, without your grace, we're hopeless. Without your grace, we are nothing. So because of your grace, your church comes hungry to know you, thirsty to drink of you. Lord, have your way in this service. Holy Spirit, fall fresh in this place that we might experience and be in the middle of the throne room of the grace of an almighty, powerful, loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.